Welcome to Live Arts Market Pulse on the Artelligence Podcast. Each week, Live Arts sales team discusses the most important subjects in the ever-changing art marketplace. I'm your host, Marion Maneker. It's a new auction season starting next week, and we've got catalogs out, and we are going to go through them today with George O'Dell and Sophie Coco, two of the leading salespeople here at Live Art. I'm here. I made it. Good. Sophie, you here too? I am here. That's great. All right. So the the catalogs came out and there's a lot uh, of different artists to talk about. But I thought maybe we could start with um, a little framing from you, George. There's certainly a lot of interest in the art market. So much has changed in the broader uh, global economy in the last uh, two or three months. And that suggests there should be some sort of a change in the global art market. How will these uh, sales help us figure that out? I think the sales, you know, the the September sales in New York are always kind of the, the back to school, if you will, sales. Um, and there ha- certainly has been a lot of change um, since the big auctions concluded in um, May and end of June, early July. Um, so I think there's a lot of people looking at what will occur in New York next week as a barometer of what happens next. Um, I think in some places we'll definitely see some new price discovery. And in other places, I think we'll have some adjustments. Right. You know, if you look at the sales and their overall makeups, what was new is now kind of middle of the pack. Um, Some there's been some more churning up of unrecognizable or older names that might get a new light shown on them. Um, There's a return to a lot of post-war material in places Um, so that, you know, the outlook I think is quite varied. It's it's this question of will the young market continue at the clip that it's been at, or will we see a resurgence in post-war and contemporary and more tried and true blue chip objects? Um, and I also think we're in a position where we wonder, you know, great, good, great, and good things will always sell well. You know, there's always a buyer for great things um, at what price level TBD. Um, but will will the B's and the C's, you know, the kind of ephemera stuff that's been hoovered up alongside the great things in the last few years, will that also continue to make astounding prices, or will we see a cooling off at that level? I think I think those are the the takeaway points that I see going into the auction week. So we can group the uh, material that's being offered into some important works by important artists that just couldn't wait till you know november uh if they need to be sold in new york or october in in london and you know material that someone just wants to sell which is you know a substantial part of these sales and is always meant to be part of these uh sales and then in between there's a lot of directional stuff that's going on either uh, artists that people want to build momentum or uh, create, you know, a narrative or, around, or um, artists who are just, uh, you know, in the primary market. There's demand for, and you know, same thing. People are trying to establish new price levels, and it certainly seems like there's a different strategy for the different auction houses. 
traditionally, Phillips is very much the auction house that makes new markets for new artists. And it feels like in this sale, particularly, there's a lot of um, uh, artists who are testing the waters, or maybe I should say there are, you know, collectors and dealers who are testing the waters for those uh, uh, artists. Uh, can we sort of pick out a few that um, interest us or that you're following in particular? Maybe we can start with you, Sophie, if that isn't sort of putting you on the spot. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I think, you know, something that we mentioned prior to jumping on here was that, you know, lot number one, the Anna Benaroya, um, it's a great piece. It's a great first lot for Phillips. I think that'll be something to watch, something I have my eye on. Um, and then, you know, one, two, three, really in Phillips going in order, the Louise Giovanelli, um, you know, not her typical pieces that you've been seeing in some of the gallery shows over the summer. She's had, she was in some group shows here in New York and, uh, you know, not as figurative as some of the ones that you saw, but still a a good piece in Gahi Park. So these three, I think, for Phillips is a great lead into the sale. Um, it's really emblematic of what they do well, bringing, as you said, Marion, bringing these artists to the auction market. And, um, you know, these these are also artists that, that we hear about out in the world that people are looking for. They're kind of percolating under the surface. Uh, people have been following them for a while. So I think they're a great kickoff and I know they'll they'll definitely be interested in these ones. Also, Amanda Baldwin, that's somebody I... You know, she's somebody that if we want to talk about like social media, I think she crops up a lot on social media and um, as lot number four. So three women artists leading into Philip. And I think that there'll be a lot of interest there. Well, let's let's stay with that for a second. I think all three houses have one or more than one Danielle Orchard uh, work. And I know, George, on our pla- on the live art platform, there's been a lot of interest in, in her work. Is this sort of capitalizing on the demand or trying to set, you know, uh, visible prices? I, I think it's capitalizing on demand, you know, and I think Daniel Orchard is a great example of that. Um, I also think, you know, the number of Louis Fertinos that are appearing in the sales is also a strong example of that, um, trying to capitalize on momentum in the market. Um, and I think that that question is emblematic of a lot of the Phillips sale, um, you know, and of the, you know, let's call it what's interesting in these auctions is that there's not totally defined AM and PM sessions like there are in the day sales in November. But, you know, there's more more Kerwicks than we've seen in seasons past now and, you know, continuing with other artists that have been perennially making good strides like Eddie Martinez um, you know, and Rafa McCrone, right? These kind of market market darlings that appeared over the last six months. We're seeing um, more of them in the auctions. And, you know, instead of just one in a sale right up front, we have we have a couple scattered throughout of various mediums and types. And, I, you know, I also think in these sales, it's the time that you see, you know, sculptures that were bought alongside paintings. You know, I noted that there's a lot of Rashid Johnson sculpture parked in various places alongside more traditional um, wall pieces. Yeah, there's also a lot of Jim Dine sculptures, mm-hmm. along with a fair number of Jim yeah. Dine works, which is a kind of interesting, you know, uh, name that hasn't surfaced in a while, suddenly to see so much work across these three sales. But also not up front, like all the uh, the Abex, the Abex ladies and, you know, the sort of post Lynn Drexlers, you know, look at Christie's, there's a lot of that going on there. 
which I think right, is well, quite, hold, quite interesting. Hold that thought. <laughs> hold that thought. I want to get to the Avex because I think there's like uh, we could spend the whole half hour talking about Avex, but there are a couple more things I still want us to um, uh, discuss it, that you know starts in Phillips and go in the other places. So there's a couple of Ivy Haldemans across. Um, all the houses, which I guess fits into the previous discussion of, you know, names that are out there you know, looking to sort of get market uh, attraction. There's a Katarina Grossa work that uh, looks like it's sort of almost introducing her into this whole, um, you know, bright, vivid abstraction uh, market and seeing how, how that might go. I, I, I think so. You know, it's funny. Katarina Grossa was one of those artists that appeared and you saw you kind of saw them at a number of galleries at art fairs around the globe right there'd be one at her vienna gallery one at johan koenig and a couple other places and then i remember gagosian took her on and did a huge presentation at fiac a couple of years ago and that kind of set the market and stabilized the prices and then a few dripped out um in auction mostly in london i believe um and so to now see sort of more significant work you know kind of more recognizable pieces hitting these sales you know and and the way that in which these sales have been you know curated i guess for lack of a, a better word um you know you have the the young the young with the older and kind of trying to make these you know juxtapositions based on aesthetics maybe more so than movement or time period and then there's a couple of interesting sleepers um sophie you mentioned the hugh steers uh, a while ago. Yeah, I've seen him kind of popping up in just conversations, you know, multiple years back now. Um, I think, you know, he's had some gallery presence and his estate is represented, but not he's not as prominent on the auction market to see him kind of pop up right alongside the Ernie Barnes up um, as lot 16 and then the Ernie Barnes comes as 17. I think, you know, just aesthetically, they're placed beautifully together um, with the way the figures are, but I wouldn't be surprised to see more Hugh Steers come to the market. Um, there's definitely interest for him, but it's been a slow trickle since I started hearing his name about two, three years ago in the all, conversation all needs, of secondary. All it needs is one big sale to, to sort of detonate it and bring all the work out. I mean, the Ernie Barnes is a great example. In these sales, there's some very different, you know, they're not these sort of party or group scenes they, with those sort of deep, rich browns and interiors. There's a there's that lovely stage eight uh, at Phillips, which is, you know, a woman waiting by the stage door. And there's a great surfer at Christie's, um, you know, both recognizably Barnes's hand in line, but very much not the scenes that we've been seeing selling these last uh, six or eight months. And I, and I think that's that's you know, part of what the market is looking at in next week, right? I think the same is true for Lynn Drexler. I think Sotheby's has a figurative um, painting of a plant alongside some more typical abstract pieces that are placed earlier in the sale, and they've got a couple works on paper. So we're kind of seeing the name, but different styles and motifs and kind of greater, greater parts of the oeuvre being put out there. Yeah, I, I guess I always assume that, um, you know, people who heard about Drexler who happened to own one uh, marching straight to an auction house and saying, I have a Drexler, can you sell it for, for me, even if it doesn't fit, you know, in the, the line. I mean, it's interesting, the one at Christie's, the bright, um, vivid, violet one, 
mm-hmm. was bought just a couple of years ago in Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is someone not terribly attached to the w- w- work who clearly didn't buy it at today's price levels. And it certainly looks like the kind of work like the green one that Bonham sold yeah. that could um, really drive the market. But yes, you're, you're right. There's a variety of different um phases of her work in these uh, sales, which will give us a, a bit more sense of what, how broad the demand is and what people are interested like, in, in buying. Can Drexler sustain a Sam Francis style, you know, stratification of dates and movements? And, and I should add, uh, it turns out uh, uh, Chrissy Teigen and John Legend did an Architectural Digest uh, video of their New York apartment a few years ago, and they are parked in front of a Lynn Drexler in the uh, uh, interview. So it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how all of this uh, comes together. So while, while we're on the ABEC conversation, let's really dive into it, because there is such an interesting array of Abex work. I mean, there are a bunch of um, uh, Willem de Kooning works uh, scattered through these sales, which is interesting in its own right. But then the bulk of the Abex painters are either, you know, later um, people somewhat inspired by it. You, I, I put Stanley Whitney in that category, though he's a much later painter, uh, and uh, certainly that beautiful uh, drape by Sam Gilliam. But then there's also all of these mostly women contemporary Abex painters uh, throughout the sales. I know you follow this uh, fairly closely, uh, uh, Sophie. Is is this, again, just sort of people trying to, we have the first Ninth Street women phase, and now we're looking to see if people can develop a market for, you know, the non-Lynn Drexlers, the, the women from the 40s and 50s? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, like, some of the great comparison, like, Christie's is doing this well. There's some great kind of juxtaposition moments here with, like, the polyurethane Bengalis from 69. Um, you know, when you look at that compared to the Frankenthaler from 64, there's that very similar pouring of material and you know Benglis hasn't experienced the same kind of market prominence as Frankenthaler but she's definitely picked up steam she had a great show at Mnuchin and there's also a lot of museum interest in her I know the Nasher um, in Dallas is seeking her work for retrospective music exhibitions so I think Christie's is doing a great job of positioning some of these women around other women like Frankenthaler who have the sustained market presence and also just kind of the awareness of collectors to create a larger story and give people like Bengalis the the moment. I also think they're doing that. You know, I think Stanley Whitney juxtaposed against the Albert Squares is a great moment um, in the sale. They're not directly next to each other, but just seeing kind of influences and where artists were looking to other um, you know, artists for inspiration. I think the Whitney and the Albers are, play really well next to each other. Same with Frank Bowling and um, Sam Gilliam. So Christie's has a lot of looking forward, looking backward moments, um, which which creates a really well-positioned sale for some of these artists that don't have the same level of prominence as a de Kooning or a Frankenthaler. And it, and it, sorry, go ahead, man. I was going to say oh. the, um, you know, like the, Lots like 130 and 131 at Christie's, the West and the Abbott. And you start to look at those estimates. 
vis-a-vis a Frankenthaler on paper, which comes a little later, and it's like you know, this looks a lot like some other very prominent female abex painters that whose markets have been established. So maybe there's the start of something, or you know, it, the new context. And I noted at the top very cleverly that you can kind of you can go through the Christie sale online. Um, and group it by these tags, you know, generations of color, female abstraction is, is right there at the top. And then, you know, alongside new voices and other things. So, you know, I think these sales have always been about finding gems and like and discovery and sort of can something new occur? My, my big question is lot 103, Jules Zalitsky. Is, is that is that now coming back into play? Um, one would think so based on the pl- placement. Yes, it certainly seems like we are triangulating is the wrong word because there are too many points, but we, we're trying to take various elements of things that there's contemporary demand for and find historical uh, works that would relate to it. I'd also put the Mary Weatherford and the John Chamberlain and, um, you know, uh, a couple of other, uh, e- even like the Jen Guidi, which is a totally different uh, thing, but there's a kind of that, that beautiful monochrome w- work, which is resonant of, you know, uh, the high modernism, uh, abstract uh, expressionism uh, work. So it's a, it's, it is like people are trying to assemble or at least lay out the tools for someone to assemble a narrative. Yeah, I also like the Jen Guidi versus the, the Clemens Moon surface. Um, you know, I think that's great. Also, I mean, not in the Christie sale, but in the Sotheby sale, the pink eraser just cannot be ignored. It's I, I find it a fab, it's a fabulous piece, and um, I was kind of surprised to see it here. I, you know, they're they're not exactly you know prominent pieces; they're kind of rare. So, um, just an interesting kind of note to have for Sotheby's in this September sale. But curious what other people's thoughts are on that. Just, just the the that's via. Uh, Selman's um, yes, pink eraser, eraser from from her sort of um, you know pop period where she she drew objects before she drew you know those those beautiful sea and sky you know night sky uh, scenes and and yes I mean there are certainly uh, I'd say you know a dozen works that uh, clearly would be uh, in any sort of in, uh, prominent in an evening sale and even exciting and. I'm sure there's all sorts of stories behind why they're here, but I think that's the story of these sales. It's no longer considered a place where things might get overlooked. It's it's like the strategy we saw over a number of years of people moving to the um, uh, day sales, prominent works that could be in an evening sale because the trade especially, the people who, who really are going to bid are going to focus on, on it there somewhat more and be attracted uh, to it. And I, I mean, certainly the Gilliam fits in that. I, I wonder whether this Anselm Kiefer that's uh, 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 being offered, you know, one of the um, Flowers uh, series, uh, uh, you know, sort of fits in that uh uh, mode as well. Well, it's about being the the highlight in the season based on value. Whereas in the in the November season, everything's going to carry a two hundred and fifty to multi million dollar price tag on it. You know, you you passed on the uh, de Kooning that's at Sotheby's, um, sort of their marquee lot for the sale. And you know, Sotheby's obviously made the de Kooning state announcement for November, and it's kind of like, okay, well. We've got these three major de Koonings coming for sale. Do you want to be the fourth behind that? Or do you want to stand alone and stand out ahead of that and use that market momentum, kind of thinking that the, the estate paintings are going to kind of set new levels and be this really exciting moment for the market 
right? Rather than just being a 1.8 to $2.5 million afterthought, which it shouldn't be an afterthought, but in the context of everything else that's going to happen in November, this is probably the better slot for that painting to appear in. No, and, and a 1964 work at that price level should attract a lot of bidders. I mean, that doesn't seem like it's aggressively uh, no. estimated. Uh, I also wondered... Do, is this coming off of the um, Maclow sales? Is the, the strength of the de Kooning pieces in the Maclow sales part of why we're seeing all of this de Kooning or is it something else? Uh, probably. I think there's probably, you know, a strength a strength and test in post-war that we, everyone feels confident in. Um, also, you know, wondering, too, if we've gone a year past the young art merry-go-round need, like, needing to slow down. Um, but also, you know, there's a moment in time where people just need to sell. So I, there's probably the true answer is probably in the middle of all those things. It could be anything. Well, speaking of, you know, sort of shifting gears or, or giving people an alternative, I think we, we were talking about that the, there's a group of photorealist paintings led by a fairly valuable, um, Richard Estes, but also, a Cottingham and, a Goings uh, painting. So it, it, it's, it's the same sort of thing. It's like, he, here's a run of four paintings that could tell people something about the level of interest and demand in photorealism, which has certainly not been, you know, tearing up the marketplace for the last few years, but, you know, seems like a, a movement that would have some uh, appeal at some point. I think so. I mean, I think Estes has been, we've, we've heard noises about Estes and it's probably, you know, the right painting with the right date coming to, to market that would reset things. It's similar to Bechtel, right? There's, you know, he passed away a couple of years ago. And if a great self-portrait appeared on the market, I think you'd see the classic, you know, San Francisco, Northern California collector base for his market come out really strongly for it. So th these are all these sort of microcosm collecting groups that occur within these sales. And the question is, does it break out to a larger pool of people? And then there's also a, a couple of little 80s um, uh, markers here. There's a, a very big Ross Blackner painting uh, that's being offered for 60000 which I believe is the same price that was paid for um, a very similar pa painting uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And there's a couple of schnabels, uh, I think, at Philip that, you know, there have been strong pops for those works over the last uh, two or three years uh, when they come up. Not always, but uh, uh, often. And I think there's even a, um, a David Sally somewhere in, in all of them. There's a really nice David Sally at like 50 to 70, a really great 80s one. I think it's at Sotheby's. Um, I saw that earlier when I was going through the auctions. It's really good. And I think, I think a lot of this is dice roll. You know, you see a big result this season before, and you think maybe now now's my moment to go for it. Does it indicate a larger trend? Possibly, right? I think we've seen more Clemente requests on live art than we have in the past, and I surely believe that has to do with what we saw occur in May at Christie's. Yes, and there, I mean, Clemente is the one who's been totally left out. At least there's been some market uh, activity for these other artists. Totally. I mean, Kenny, Kenny Scharf has been a kind of star of... Um, you know, the alternative market for a number of years uh, uh, now and continues to sort of uh, motor along. There is one interesting lot um, being offered that was just bought in May and it's a back on the market for, you know, with an estimate below what was paid in, in May, which either suggests that, you know, so, so someone had a, a, uh, 
a misfortune or that uh, uh, someone thinks there's, you know, uh, an opportunity uh, there. But, you know, there's enough 80s work around for us to get some sense uh, of that market. Totally. I, and I think I think the, the meanie painting at Christie's is one of the stronger ones for, for sure. Um, it will be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, for sure. Uh, and then finally, there's an Anne Craven and a Salmon tour. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, Clemente in that same sale that the Clemente uh, set a, a substantial new record. And Anne Craven really surprised people and sold for you know like half a million six hundred thousand uh, uh, dollars. Uh, is that you know some and it's a bird? So is that someone capitalizing on that, or is that just you know uh, again you know? You got to sell sometime. I, I I would I would lean towards capitalizing personally. So it's one to watch. Yeah, has a uh, nice low estimate too. Yes, it, it it certainly looked like it was a dangle, right? The low, low estimate <laughs> yeah, fit well with things that have sold well. You know, come get me. Power of the extra uh, bid. Exactly. Uh, anything else, you guys, that we haven't covered? I mean, there's plenty we haven't covered, but anything else that sort of sticks out to to you as something We're, that you know. You mentioned tour at the end of, of leading into Craven, and I think that's one that's really interesting. Again, kind of going back to something I had said earlier that we've got a, prefol- a profilition of names out there that before we only had one of. And tour feels like this market where I think we've maybe have we come to the end of the auction cycle for tour and it's kind of a gallery thing again. You know, I, I don't totally know with that one, you know, where it goes from here because there's such demand and explosive pricing right when the first few hit the market and now it seems like we've seen earlier examples and less indicative of what you know we know in the american market of tour to be about and i just i just wonder you know how long this keeps ticking over or maybe it's it we should add there was a very strong show in baltimore um over the summer and and I don't think this is the kind of show that's suddenly going to you know make people realize that uh, he exists. There's, there's been so much demand, but it'll be interesting to see if that has any sort of uh, effect on you know sustaining or you know inspiring uh, demand at the levels you're talking about. Yeah, totally. I agree with that. All right, folks, we have come to the limit of our time. I think in the future we are going to move these um, off of Twitter and record them directly, mostly to give you better sound quality. Uh, they can all be heard at the Artelligence uh, podcast, which you can find uh, on SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, or uh, Apple Podcasts. That's Artelligence. And then I think the final thing is to just me- mention that uh, LiveArt is launching an NFT with Huang Yusing uh, this uh, weekend on Friday, and it will continue uh, throughout the fall. So pay attention to that. He's a major artist. He's got a big show coming up here in New York in November. and his, Western you know, debut. Western <laughs> debut show. <laughs> And his his work is certainly fits into that, you know, uh, a vivid uh, abstraction, you know, landscape uh, style that has been so central to the uh, marketplace uh, this last year or so. Uh, we, we, we didn't mention that there's a, a Dana Schutz or two and a, a Shara Hughes, so it'll be interesting to see how those uh, go. But we'll be tuned in. 
for the sales next week. We'll have to figure out how we do the the, the podcast, whether we do a different subject before the sales or wait till uh, after. But we hope you'll all join us. Thank you again, Sophie and George, for all of your insight. Pleasure as always. Thanks, Marion. See you all soon. Thank you for joining us for Live Arts Market Pulse. The Artelligence podcast is edited by Colin Ketchum, who also composed the original music. Come back next week or subscribe to at Art Market on Twitter and join our live Twitter space.